HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I hope everyone is tuning into Tech Bites, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today is episode 252. It is our last episode of the year 2021. And as our tradition is at Tech Bytes since we started way back in 2015. Our last show of the year is always a look forward to the next year. We're lucky in the food tech space in that many of the innovators and CEOs and founders and people that we talk to, their companies are good indicators of what their industry and what we will be looking at and thinking about. People who innovate have to be one or two or 12 steps ahead of everyone else in order to really hit that point and hit that mark. So today I'm really happy to uh, welcome a great group of uh, women in tech today. First up, we have Dr. Jasmine Hume, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Shiru. And Shiru is an interesting one. We've talked a lot about plant-based lab-grown um, animal protein alternatives on this show. Um, we've talked a lot about it this year and in years past. It is certainly a trend that people are reading about, that they're seeing in the grocery stores and in some of their favorite restaurants. But maybe, you know, people haven't stopped to think about what goes into all those things in the same way if you were standing in the supermarket aisle with a list of ingredients to make your favorite meatloaf recipe, if you wanted to do a plant-based version of that, you'd have to find plant-based versions of everything. And that's where Shiru steps in. It's a very interesting idea. It's a company that is going to support other companies in their food production by providing very unique ingredients. So Jasmine, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And then joining us also are two of her uh, members of her board. We have Dina Shakir, who is partner of Lux Capital. Dina, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. 
And Mary Clark, who is Senior VP at Fermanek, who is um, also a new board member at Shiru. Thanks, Jennifer. It's a pleasure to be here. Very exciting to, to hear about everyone's uh, point of view and thoughts for the new year. But let's start with Jasmine and let's start with Shiru. Um, Shiru, Jasmine, tell us a little bit about the story. You've been in business for a little bit, but this year is going to be a big year for you and a big year for the company. 2022 is when you really dig in and start making the donuts, as it were. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just uh, giving a little bit of background on Shiru, uh, we see ourselves as a next generation ingredients company. Uh, there are undeniable trends that are happening right now globally. Uh, we obviously have a growing global population. Uh, we also have a climate that is under extreme stress. Uh, a lot of that is contributed to by the way that we make food, essentially, um, particularly looking at some of the more unsustainable practices around animal agriculture. Um, and we're also seeing this uh, big shift in terms of what people are looking for for food solutions, which is really driven by consumers. Uh, that is really grounded in a huge growing movement around plant-based foods. Uh, so the opportunities are tremendous to be able to make foods that are more sustainable, better for the environment, better for people, and better for animals. Unfortunately, uh, some of the basic ingredients that we need to make these foods really tasty and have all the, the right textures, nutritional properties, and flavors um, sometimes really just don't meet the mark yet. Uh, and so at Shiru, uh, we are developing a portfolio of functional ingredients uh, that are protein-based to be able to really create these foods that are going to fuel the future sustainably. So thinking about providing technical ingredient solutions that can enable uh, plant-based or vegan cheese that doesn't rely on dairy proteins uh, that has still all of the same amazing qualities that we know dairy cheeses to have, things like melting and stretching, um, providing different flavor profiles, uh, being aged in certain ways. It all comes down to the magic of protein ingredients. But today, a lot of the food formulators don't actually have uh, access to the ingredients that are actually going to unlock those capabilities for the entire market. So that's where Shiru comes in. So anyone who, and, you know, tell me if this is a good analogy, Jasmine, anybody who's taken a recipe and tried to convert that recipe to being um, maybe vegan or vegetarian or gluten-free or, um, you know, any number of the different nutritional profiles that people are wanting these days, both out of, um, you know, philosophical reasons or medical reasons, you know, you start to drill through the ingredient list of, you know, a cookie or bread or, you know, your your favorite chicken dish. All of those things would have to align under vegan or under gluten free or under whatever your category is. So is, is that essentially, you know, in a in a in a general term, what Shiro is doing? Shiro is providing that that the the basic ingredients to make these other final products. 
Uh, yeah, yes, essentially, we are providing uh, the ingredients that enable um, really, you know, the food formulators. And uh, specifically for Shiru, we're actually providing solutions to the food industry. So our customers are, in fact, food manufacturers, rather than, um, you know, me, if I go to the grocery store, per se. Uh, and so you can think about it as being, you know, opportunities like replacing eggs or uh, gelatin or dairy proteins from a food formulation where all of those ingredients are used because they perform a function. And it might be providing texture or emulsifying or stabilizing a food. Um, and at Shiru, we provide ingredient solutions that are basically enabling that same function. So if you remove egg from the recipe, what other protein has the ability to emulsify? Uh, and there are a huge number of, of plant proteins out there that really haven't been explored for a lot of these food functionalities. Um, at Shiru in-house, we actually have a database of more than 450 million natural proteins. 450 uh, and million that's right. Yes. 450 million natural proteins. Natural proteins. Yes. I could probably, exactly. I mean, I would be hard pressed to name 400, I think. Or maybe I could. I don't know. That seems like a staggering number. It is. It is, Jennifer. We think so. Um, and it's, our, our database is ever growing. Um, but you're, you're not alone. So, you know, the, the, the truth is that we get 90% of our calories from just 13 staple crops today. And okay. those are, okay. you know, so I'm not the, crazy the in thinking that, that trying to name 400 would be a challenge. <laughs> no, that, that is a challenge for sure. That's a challenge. <laughs> um, but, but really, you know, what, what we do is we're essentially growing the, the toolbox of ingredients um, from which food manufacturers have to be able to meet the demands of the consumers for foods that are uh, more sustainable, provide the same nutrition and are equally as tasty. So you have been basically proving concept, making different products and things like that. And now you are getting ready to ramp up and, and start producing at scale. That's right. We are on the cusp of that. Um, and so we have uh, really been heads down in, in terms of, you know, identifying of that large database we have, what are the best protein ingredients that we can bring to the market first? Uh, and so towards that end, we have uh, a small but growing ingredients catalog that we've developed at Shiru. And now in the next year, we're really excited to build out capabilities that are more related to growing our product. And so taking those initial discoveries that were kind of at bench scale in the lab, moving into producing them at pilot scale. So producing larger sample quantities to be able to deliver them to our early customers. And these are, you know, big or, or small, but gl global food CPG companies around the world um, who essentially in the next year, we're going to start providing our first uh, tangible samples of our ingredients to them for them to be able to test and start to formulate with, um, which is uh, a new phase of development for us. Very exciting. So CPG is consumer packaged goods. Exactly right. Yes. So that so means big, the, the, big companies that make the big boxes of, you know, cereal and salad dressing and all those things that we see in the supermarket aisle or in our virtual place online where we do our shopping today. So Precisely. tell us, Jasmine, what do you see just in terms of trend wise? What are the 
what are the foods? What are the types of foods and products that are going to be online for 2022 and coming that you are trying to address? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, I mean, I talked a little bit about plant-based and mm -hmm. I think, you know, all of us, we probably can't uh, turn a corner or go to the, the grocery store certainly without seeing um, a whole lot of new development in the plant-based sector. Uh, that is not slowing down, uh, which is really exciting. So I think some of the, the major categories there that we're really excited to support and, um, and provide solutions for are one, plant-based meat. So that could be everything from, um, you know, uh, plant-based burgers to breakfast uh, sausage patties uh, to meatballs, uh, chicken nuggets, you name it. Uh, and then the other one, which is also growing at a really, really exciting pace, but in, in our opinion may need some help in terms of uh, the need for functional ingredients is actually alternatives to dairy. So specifically, you know, you look at plant-based yogurts or plant-based cheeses. Um, and there's, there's honestly, there's some work to do. There's some work to do. There are some, some really great companies that are, uh, that are developing products in this space, but it's technically very challenging to match like this, you know, very, uh, viscous Greek yogurt profile that you put your spoon in and it kind of like leaves a dent in the cup. That's difficult to achieve with plant proteins. And so at Shiru, we're really excited to provide solutions for the things that are most challenging, but also growing at a really, really high rate, right? now. Mm -hmm. So uh, plant-based meat substitutes across the board and then plant-based dairy um, across the board. Yes. Uh, Mary, you are in a similar business in terms of providing flavor and taste and perfume to, you know, the world at large. You're not a textural company, but you're definitely a taste company. What are you seeing from where you sit in terms of what the what the general trends are for 2022? Well, I, I agree entirely with Jasmine in that uh, absolutely there's a continued shift toward plant-centered diets, both on menus and restaurants, as well as store shelves. And we see this across uh, dairy and meat categories. Um, if you look at the consumer, uh, over 60% of consumers in developed markets are intentionally looking to include plant proteins in their diets. Right now, about 10% of launches in dairy and 8% of launches in meat categories are based on alternative proteins. And we expect that to continue to grow throughout 2022. What, we're, what we'll start to see is addressing the uh, particular challenge that is seen with uh, plant proteins, and that is um, a challenge with developing products that are great tasting. Many of the traditional legume-based, uh, I guess, nutritional proteins have off notes. So looking ahead, expect to see products that have improved taste profiles. And um, as Jasmine referred to, we'll have a more authentic experience replicating what consumers have come to expect from dairy and meat. And finally, um, we'll eventually start to see some more variety, both in types of proteins, uh, as a base nutritional protein, for example, oat is growing, but there's a lot of other proteins, including functional proteins. We'll also start to see novelty in finished product format, because after all, there's only so much room in our menus for burgers and nuggets. 
That's a that's an interesting last point, novelty. And you know, we um, did a show a, a few episodes back with two founders of two um, alternative protein companies. One was plant based, and one was lab grown seafood. One was plant based dairy replace meat and dairy replacement. The other one was lab grown seafood. And my question to them. Um, and it sounds like you're, you're, this is what you're referring to, Mary, is at what point will uh, companies start to innovate just simply new products, new protein products or food products or, you know, breakfast, dinner, lunch, cereal products that aren't a plant-based copy of something animal? I think that that's a great point. Um, we're probably not there yet. I think right now the, the focus is on coming up with diverse types of proteins and then kind of stepping up the game in terms of the consumer experience. Because the target audience right now in terms of the consumer are those flexitarians that grew up on uh, animal-based products. So they're used to that experience that uh, they, they've learned from, from an early age with, with meat and dairy. I think ultimately um, the next phase of development will be in coming up with alternatives that are not just copies of, of meat and, and of animal products, uh, different product forms, um, plant as center of plate, not as a replica. I think that's, uh, that's probably a little bit beyond 2022, but that'll be the next wave of development. It's an interesting idea. It's also, I, I wonder, and I, I've asked this uh, question to many guests, and, and Jasmine, I'll throw it out to you, and Mary, um, and Dina as well, just generally as an idea. You know, there are so many plant-based cuisines in the world today, right now, um, where it's, you, you could have a beautiful meal every day. You could have a, a completely vegetarian, vegan um, menu and lifestyle in Italy or in India or in China. I could open an Italian restaurant in New York City where I am right now, and it could be entirely vegan. And if I didn't mention that to people, people might not even realize it because so many, you know, pasta pomodoro, that's vegan. Um, so it, it's an interesting, it's always an interesting idea to me that instead of going towards um, existing you know, naturally formed ingredients as we find them in the wild, um, why we need to have a plant-based burger? Why can't we all just, you know, live on pasta pomodoro? Uh, yeah, I, I can take a, a shot at this one. Um, I love the question, honestly, and I am a big fan of uh, plant-based eating. I, that's what I adopt myself. Uh, yet, uh, what we see globally is that um, people actually really crave animal-based products. We always have, and maybe we always will. Um, when I think about the challenge of, you know, particularly urgency around solving for this, we don't have time. We don't have time. I would love for there to be a, a, a beautiful pasta restaurant in every corner. We don't have the time. Uh, our environment is screaming for help. Uh, the climate crisis is upon us. And, um, you know, I think about it as being a, a challenge of scale and efficiency. So, you know, even when you look at, uh, at producing all, all row crops, uh, you still have challenges with mass balance and efficiency of producing the highest nutrient density per, you know, unit energy or unit area. 
um, as an entrepreneur, I have the, the perspective of, gosh, what can I do to solve this challenge now? Um, and for us, that means, you know, we can assemble a nimble, uh, uh, motivated team to be able to create solutions for the food industry where we're actually not asking people to change their behavior, which is probably the most difficult thing that you can do. And I think any entrepreneur that thinks that they're going to change behavior globally is up for a real, a, a real, a real challenge. So what we can do instead is we can challenge ourselves as a company, as a team to provide technical solutions that we can actually scale so that the choices to eat a more sustainable diet are so easy. Um, and that's, that's how we think about it. It's, you know, addressing it at a global scale and with the sense of urgency um, that, you know, business solutions are, are happily able to, to provide in some instances. And we, we happen to be in a good spot for that. And Dina at Lux Capital, um, certainly um, trends start with funding in many cases. Um, you can have a great idea, but if you can't uh, actualize it or articulate it in the world, um, it may not get very far. From where you sit, what types of things are you investing in now that will come to fruition in 2022? Or what are you looking for to invest in in 2022? Uh, yes. Well, I, I think uh, one way to um, answer that question is actually to go back to 2019 when we first invested in um, Jasmine and Shiro. And, and um, I think that really speaks to our thesis around how we think about uh, what can turn into generational companies um, that can fundamentally improve the world that we live in uh, and advance humanity. You know, with um, with with Shiro, there were, you know, certainly there's um, an impact-oriented um, mentality. For, this is something that is going to have a fundamental effect on our daily lives, not in the far future, but currently, presently, we're all living and breathing the effects of climate. And, you know, we believe that addressing um, food is one of the most effective ways to help reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But from a business model perspective, what was really compelling is, you know, I'd spent a lot of time and still spend a lot of time in healthcare and life sciences. And Shiru's model and, and you know, Jasmine's original idea, which, um, you know, is still very much the, the bread and butter, if you will, uh, of the company, is that there was an opportunity to take advances in machine learning and computational biology and enable large food companies to produce plant-based alternatives to proteins at scale in a way that previously had never been done. But we had seen that done in life sciences, and we had seen that done in healthcare. And I was previously at uh, Google Ventures, um, otherwise known as GV, where I had seen just how much capital and R&D it took to produce individual uh, proteins for you know, some of the um, consumer-focused uh, burger alternatives, for example. So the idea of being able to do that at scale was very compelling. And the idea of being able to do it and partnering with these large global food companies to actually enable them to replace ingredients in the everyday foods that um, you know Americans and individuals all over the world eat was very compelling. And so that's um, that's what's very exciting. And as I think, you know, ahead to 2022 and beyond, those are the types of really transformative breakthrough technologies applied to everyday um, life that um, that we get excited about. 
You said something very interesting at the at the top of your response, and that was you were looking at generational companies. That's not something that we often hear um, when we're talking about entrepreneurs and innovators. Um, we often hear about people who have an exit strategy or you know want to hit a certain mark um, and then maybe go public and and things like that. And future um, future growth and investment. Um, Sounds very sometimes um, financially driven or success driven, but being interested in generational companies, I think is something a little bit different. Could you uh, elaborate on what generational means from the Lux Capital point of view? Absolutely. Um, you know, as as a venture capital fund, we are fundamentally in the business of creating value for our institutional LPs, otherwise known as limited partners, many of whom are some of the most you know impactful and philanthropic institutions, educational endowments, uh, hospitals, and so on. Um, so we you know we invest in companies that we believe will create you know billions of dollars of value, but also in technologies that we believe will advance humanity and. Some of these are, uh, you know, taking on uh, advanced manufacturing, supply chain, obviously food with Shiru, healthcare, and so on. So when we think about generational companies, it's not just about, you know, an exit or a return or, you know, a multiple. It's about investing in really transformative solutions that will last for generations, that will enable further innovation that will serve as, as uh, you know, platforms that will be historic. And, and those are the kinds of outcomes we, we aim for because of the size of our fund. You know, we have 4 billion um, assets under management. So we are investing in those, in those types of outcomes. Um, and that's what we believed in and we continue to believe in, in fact, more excited than ever with, uh, with Jasmine. That's a really, um, Great point of view to hear sometimes when we when we think about or talk about, you know, venture capital and investing in the stock market, it seems a little mercenary sometimes. Um, and something that's generational, that's to advance humanity sounds um, really like something I would want to invest in. We're going to take a quick break right now and find out who is investing in this episode Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, TechBytes is pleased to be a part of this network. This is our last show of the year. Help us make sure this isn't the last show ever. Listen to who's sponsoring this episode. And while you're listening, think about maybe becoming a member yourself. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. All 
You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today we are looking into the future. This is the last episode of 2021, and we are trying to make predictions for 2022. And here's a spoiler alert. The future is plant-based. Maybe you already knew that. I'm talking with Dr. Jasmine Hume, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Shiru. It is a very interesting uh, biotech, food tech company that is making ingredients for this next generation of plant-based foods. If you're interested in taking a look at what they do, you can find them online at shiru, S-H-I-R-U.com. Also joining us are two members of the Shiru board. We have Dina Shakir, who is partner at Lux Capital, a very interesting uh, investment group. Also, you can follow them online, luxcapital.com. And lastly, we have Mary Clark, who is senior vice president of Furman, who is, who not who, of what is one of the, the largest, the largest privately held fragrance flavor company in the world. Is that right, Mary? That's that's right. That's Firminish. That's amazing. Um, and they are F-I-R-M-E-N-I-C-H dot com. Making flavors and fragrance. Certainly all these new plant-based things, we want them to taste like the animal-based thing that they're replacing. How many, how many flavors, how many flavors does it take to make a burger? <laughs> Mary. <laughs> That that's quite a puzzle. I I think it's uh, it's really more than than flavor. It's it's really having an expertise in developing a product uh, from a culinary perspective. So uh, it's a simple question with a complex answer. Yeah, I think I, we would probably all be surprised if we sat down and looked at the ingredient list of making some of these plant based versions of animal based things that we know. Um, so we're looking at 2022 and certainly, you know, Shiru is looking forward to supporting the trend, you know, you're sort of the trend supporting the trend, if you will. Um, what else do you have coming up for 2022? Are you going to, you're going to be expanding again? Yes, it feels like uh, it never really stops, honestly, um, which is a very, very fun ride so far. Um, we are in 2022, we're going to continue to grow our team. Um, we're actually expected to double the size of our team. We're 26 people today at Shiru. So taking that up towards 50 by the end of next year, most likely. Um, and then to support that growth, we're actually going to be moving into a new facility out here in uh, in the East Bay, in the San Francisco Bay Area in Alameda. So um, that happens in uh, the first half of next year. But yeah, it's basically um, custom built, you know, labs um, and our first pilot facility actually to be able to produce those samples and get them in the hands of our first customers. So lots of expansion, lots of growth, um, very exciting times for us as a young company. You were um, a recipient of an award this year from Women Building the Future by Vegan Women. And I'd love to ask all three of you, it's been a long time since we've done a Women in Tech roundtable on Tech Bytes. But it's certainly something that we've discussed in the past. Um, how how is it look in twenty twenty two for women in tech right now? 
Jasmine, you just finished a round of funding and funding is typically one of the um, topics women founders talk about very frequently. You were very successful in your, in your last round. I can, yeah, I can give you some, um, some perspective there. Uh, you know, going to raise the seed round of funding for Shiru, um, which uh, Lux and, and Dina led, you know, there was a lot going on in my head, uh, this being the first time that I was doing this. And um, on top of just, you know, the, the regular woes or concerns of like, oh gosh, how's my pitch going to go? And what should I emphasize? And what questions are they going to ask? I actually had an additional kind of element to think about, which was, uh, I was eight months pregnant. Um, That's amazing. When I closed, <laughs> when I closed Shira's seed round back in 2019. Uh, and I spent a lot of mental energy um, preparing for what I thought were going to be inevitable questions of like, well, who do you think you are? How can you, you know, have, have a baby and start a company at the same time? What's your game plan? Uh, the interesting thing is those questions actually didn't come. And, you know, it's it's a very interesting uh, maybe filter that uh, the right investors, the ones who really understood the opportunity and who really believed in what we were building, they jumped in um, without hesitation. <laughs> I'll never know if the ones that passed, you know, passed for for reasons other than having to do with with the company or the vision. But you know what? We got the right investors on board, and uh, we have been really excited to to be able to grow the company as quickly and as as um, as impactfully as we have. So, you know. It's, I think it's, it's, I can't comment on, you know, historically, this is like my perspective of doing this now, but I would say to, to women who are, you know, going to go out and fundraise and maybe concerned about these things, try to put it in the back of your head. The other questions are going to be the more, more important ones. Dina, what does it look like from your perspective on the investment side? Are, have things changed? Are people now just really interested in product and founder and people? Are those sort of the the stereotypes that we see in the movies and read about in the occasional article um, gone by the wayside? I, I wish that were the case. Um, unfortunately, there's still quite a bit of work to be done across the board in um, you know in, in advancing equity on cap tables on the you know investor side as well as on the founder side. Um, I personally have been you know very public about my. Uh, you know, conviction in uh, underdog and underrepresented founders. And it's not just because it's good for the world, um, but fundamentally because the data shows that women and, and people of color and especially intersectional women make better founders. They uh, have quicker time to exit. The diverse boards um, are responsible for companies that generally have better ROI. And there's a proliferation of data around how women-founded companies are outperforming the market. Uh, in fact, PitchBook just released uh, last month their all-in report, which documented quite a bit of this. And there's some fascinating statistics. Um, now, all of that being said, that percentage of dollars, venture dollars that are going towards women founders and that are written by women check writers is still abominably low. Uh, and 2020, the uh, you know the year none of us will ever forget for many reasons, um, was you know despite being a 
boon year in a lot of ways for venture capital, we actually saw a drop uh, in the number of venture-backed companies started by women at a 3% drop, even as overall deal value increased 16%. Uh, 2021 uh, is, is, is looking a little bit better or you know, we're wrapping up in a few weeks. So I should say, you know, unless there's a, a big change over the next few weeks, I think 2021 was an improvement. Um, you know, tens of billions of dollars raised across thousands of deals, shattering the record from 2019, despite the dip in 2020. Um, we've also seen an increase in the number of women uh, partners and, and principals, check writers. Um, in, in 2019, that was 12%. In 2021, it's uh, 15.4%. So still nowhere near our representation in the world. So there's lots more work to be done. But the, the, the data also shows that when you have diversity on your cap tables, when you have diverse investors coming together, there is a natural symbiosis toward um, toward founders who are also um, you know underrepresented. And you know, for me, Jasmine mentioned um, you know that she was pregnant, and not only you know as a mom of two myself, who who uh, you know started my first job in venture when I was eight months pregnant. So there was a lot that I can <laughs> you know relate to there. But I actually seek out. Mothers, I, I, you know, I experienced this myself. I've experienced it with Jasmine, with you know, two other founders in my portfolio who have also had babies in the last, multiple babies in some cases in the last, um, you know, eighteen to twenty-four months. Those are the the founders I want to back. There is nobody who knows how to prioritize and get things done, um, and uh, and 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 be present and and just you know be productive uh, more than, um, than than a mom. And I'm unapologetic about that. So if other folks are biased, well, um, more more benefit for those of us um, you know who, who who believe and who see. I wonder if men will have a better understanding of the superpowers of women and moms coming out of 2020, having spent more time with moms and their kids because everyone was sheltering in place. I wonder if you did a survey what the, what the results of that would be. Because um, oftentimes if you're not actually in a place seeing something happen, it's hard to imagine what's actually happening. But everybody was together in 2020 um, in the same space. So it'd be interesting to see if people's thoughts about that have changed or not, um, given, you know, the extraordinary year that we had um, in 2020. Mary, you have been in the food tech innovation space for a while. What does it look like for women in tech from your point of view? Well, certainly my perspective uh, is, is not so much from a, a startup or an equity perspective, but really more a corporate perspective. And looking at my career um, and looking at where we are, it, it's actually a very positive time to be a woman uh, looking for a career in tech and, and in food tech in particular. I think the outlook um, is very positive. Um, and this is across all, um, all different uh, functions, scientists, engineers, sales, marketing, supply chain finance. And really, uh, I think companies have gotten to the point, uh, whether large or small, they're increasingly uh, looking to add diverse talent at all levels, perhaps maybe not at the board level yet. I think we have some work to do there. But many companies uh, have proactive programs to attract and develop talented women leaders. And in fact, uh, progress at this uh, on this point 
is something that's an important topic on the dashboard of company leaders that they're measured against. So I think the uh, times have changed, so to speak, um, in the corporate world, perhaps not quite yet um, in equity and startup and at the board level. Well, those are all positive things. And hopefully, you know, moving forward motion is forward motion. And hopefully that is the direction that we keep on going. Um, We have a few minutes left to the show today. So I'll just go around and and ask each of you, what are your top trends and predictions for 2022? And it can be within the context of, you know, the food tech space. It can just be um, what your personal crystal ball is is showing you given uh, your place in the world, what your gut instinct tells you. Jasmine, what are your, what are your top, top trends for 2022? Yeah, sure. So I, I think in terms of the, the food world, uh, which is uh, what we're talking about today, as I mentioned, plant-based uh, not going to cease in terms of its growth. Uh, we're also going to continue to see consumers being really interested and uh, increasingly informed on what goes into the food that they eat and how it's made. Um, in our particular uh, branch of food tech at Shiru, we also are experiencing a lot of um, energy and attention being focused towards fermentation and the ability to produce foods leveraging fermentation. Um, so that's something that's that's very close to, to what we do and a big part of our story even over the next year. Um, just reflecting a little bit on, on what Dina said as well in terms of, you know, thinking about more opportunities to invest in female-founded companies. Uh, it resonates with me that, you know, some of the, the best leaders uh, will actually and are women. Um, we know that leadership qualities like empathy and self-awareness are super critical for success in leadership. And uh, women tend to be pretty pretty self-aware and empathetic individuals, I think, as a, as a whole. Um, so I think that, you know, talking about those things and having that be more of the dialogue uh, hopefully increases the progress towards, you know, leveling the playing field a little bit more. Mary, what are your top trends for 2022? What do you predict? I think the pandemic has really changed our outlook. If, if we take a look at what's going on with um, consumers and, and uh, food, I think we're really uh, at a stage of what we can call transformation of the diet. Uh, pandemic uh, conditions have heightened consumer awareness of their healthfulness and they're looking to uh, step up their intentions to make meaningful change in, in many categories. Um, I think also looking at the pandemic, um, our collective experience has emphasized the importance of work-life balance. We've uh, figurative, figuratively uh, invited our colleagues into our homes on a daily basis through Zoom, um, creating, I think, a better understanding of what many families have to juggle that often impacts uh, the woman more. Uh, Companies are rethinking the need to be present in the corporate office five days a week, and uh, many are moving to a hybrid model, and I think that this is going to help balance uh, family life and ultimately, I think, women's career development as well. Well, that's good to hear. There are so many articles um, that I have read online over the past year and a half where they were sort of two similar ideas. One was work-life balance is a lie and not possible. 
was a big uh, topic that, you know, you saw over and over again. And the other one was that the pandemic itself was really detrimental to women's professional life and careers, just given the way the balance shifted and um, the way the work-life balance shifted, as you just mentioned, that it was, you know, women who in the homes who picked up most of the slack and then resulting, um, you know, some have left jobs or transitioned into different, you know, roles or out of work. Um, so it's good to hear that maybe the, um, with a little bit of hindsight now and understanding that the world is a different place now, sort of adjusting to the actual times that we live in and what we want those values to be. Um, do you know, what, what do you, what are your top trends for 2022? Yeah, there's a, there's quite a few. I mean, I think, um, certainly, um, with regard to, you know, to food, there is, uh, you know, so much about the last few years that has, um, made us rethink a lot of, um, our own personal health, uh, the health of our planet. Um, you know, we saw consumer patterns of consumption, uh, change over, you know, the, the, the course of the pandemic. And so I do think that, uh, there, you know, companies like Shiro that are innovating in this space will, will benefit from, um, from some of those changes. Um, I also think with regard to, you know, categories in healthcare that have traditionally been overlooked, particularly those that, you know, have been highlighted um, by working from home and by the pandemic, we'll, we'll see more investment. Women's health uh, and family health being uh, one of those. Unfortunately, mental health, um, well, unfortunately for the world, but it, 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 I think it's good that there will be more investment in this space where there is still, you know, largely a uh, an unmet need, um, as so many of us, as humanity really, um, hopefully emerges from this, uh, you know, unprecedented, uh, global pandemic. So lots of, I think lots of innovation to come. And then of course, you know, the, the, the public markets, uh, have been a bit of a roller coaster. Um, and you know, who knows, uh, what that will mean in terms of private market investing. But I do think, you know, from our perspective, we continue to get excited about companies that are that are building the the picks and shovels, the infrastructure that will power digital transformation, whether that's digital transformation of healthcare, digital transformation of uh, of the supply chain and of food, et cetera. Lots happening, but there always is. And um, 2022, you know, hopefully it will be a good year. Um, it's not exactly tech and it's not, you know, um, numbers and, and research and machine learning, but um, astrologically 2022 is supposed to be a great year for everybody. <laughs> so maybe, that. That's good. <laughs> you know, maybe even, you know, having some, the stars align for us, um, the, the luck will help uh, the other side, you know, right brain, left brain working together. Well, that, that all sounds real positive. And I think one of the reassuring things is having um, smart, capable, uh, generous and thoughtful people running businesses and moving, running businesses that move us all forward. Um, you know, oftentimes, and I'm sure all of you have heard this in the startup and innovation space, everyone always says, you know, people don't invest in companies, they invest in people. Um, and it's important to have good people with good ideas. Um running things, even if it's just small little pieces. I want to thank Jasmine Hume, the CEO and founder of Shiru, Dina Shakir, the partner at Lux Capital, and Mary Clark, Senior Vice President of Furman, 
for coming on the show for our preview into 2022. If you're already nostalgic for 2021 or even nostalgic way back to, I don't know, 2015, there are 252 episodes of Tech Bites in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. This is our last show for 2021. Help us make sure it's not the last show ever. Go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and it's not too late to make a donation, to make a donation in someone's name, to give someone the gift of membership to Heritage Radio. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It'll help us make more radio, and it'll help us make more voices heard, record more stories, and share more information. We are a community. We are a global community, and it's important that we stay together. I'm Jennifer Leutzi. I'm wishing you and yours the very best for 2021, and I will see you in 2022. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter, Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.